Hey everyone, this is Chris Kopp with the Next Steps podcast from Blackhawk Church, and we're coming to you with a special bonus episode where Tiffany and I will be doing a Q&A with Pastor Charles Yu. We've got a lot of content to get to, so let's dive right in. Good afternoon, Tiffany and Charles. How are you guys doing today? Good. Very good. Glad to be here. It's a fun day. Exciting. Well, yeah, we're doing like this special kind of Q&A episode. Surprise, you got got something fun in your your podcast stream that maybe you weren't expecting. Uh, But Tiffany, can you just tell us a little bit more about what we'll be doing today and why. Sure. Yeah. Well, for a while now, we have talked about doing some sort of Q&A with Charles because I don't know if you guys know this, but he has spent the last year or two going around to different life groups and answering any and every question that they have. And so we thought, well, in this season, what if we do that, but kind of on the podcast instead? So that got us thinking. Um, And, you know, with everything going on since May in particular, Um, regarding race in our country. And after a couple rounds of race and faith learning groups that some of you participated in, we just thought, you know what? I wonder if it would be beneficial just to do this entire session on the topic of race, to go after some of those questions that we know that we've been asking, that we've heard you asking. Um, So we are excited about that today. So I know many of you listening have maybe been on some sort of journey lately to learn more and to listen to the people of color around you. Uh, And that's certainly been true of Tiffany and I for several years now as well. But I also want to just acknowledge that for some of you, this isn't merely some sort of learning journey you've been on or an academic exercise, but racial injustice is something that's affected you personally in some way. Um, So maybe you're a person of color who's been the victim of racial injustice yourself, Or maybe you even have some sort of connection, whether personally or through a friend or family member to the families of Jacob Blake and Kenosha or Alvin Cole and Wauwatosa, um, the two people that have been involved in a couple of the shootings that have been front and center in our state recently. Um, So though this Q&A will mostly focus on helping the rest of us better understand some of these things, um, know that we love you guys and we're for you. And we just wanted you to know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And also I know that Chris, you and I are personally excited for this discussion because we're going to be soaking things in just as much as anyone else listening. And we're trying just to take a posture of being learners. Um, We know there's so much for us to grow and learn into. And so I want to encourage those of you listening to do that as well. You might hear some things that you don't agree with. Actually, I can probably guarantee that you will. Or you might feel kind of awkward at times as you're hearing some you know, Charles and I and Chris talking about some of those things. And that is okay. These things are inherently difficult and sometimes incredibly awkward to talk about. And so don't turn this off. Try just to listen with an open heart and mind. Sit in some of these difficult questions for a while. I would encourage you if there are particular questions that you have as you're listening, go ahead and write those down. Sit with those, bring those to God. And um, I think that by the end of this, uh, you might find that, um, yeah, God does some stuff in, in you. So one last thing before um, before we get going, kind of by way of announcements, many of you sent in some questions for Charles, and we'll hope to get to as many of those as possible. So thanks so much for doing that. Uh, if you want to ask any follow-up questions or just have feedback in general, 
Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you email us at podcast at blockhawkchurch.org. Um, so, okay, with that, before we really dig in, most of you who are listening probably know that Pastor Charles um, is on our staff here at Blackhawk Church, uh, and maybe you can tell from his name, uh, but just to say it out loud, since we're in an audio-only format here, uh, Charles, you are not white. <gasps> That's obviously not <laughs> news, that. news to you, and not, not news to most of the people listening, but it's just helpful in this format um, for you guys to kind of know the, a little bit of the background of, of Charles and, and the perspective that he's speaking from. So Charles, can you just tell us a little bit more about your background before we get started? Sure thing. You know, I, I was uh, reflecting on uh, my experience. I, w- I, was, I was born in Taiwan, uh, a little island southeast of China, and um, I spent my first 10 years of my life there. And what's interesting about that is that for those 10 years, I lived in a place where I lived like everybody else. So I never thought about race. It's, it's weird, right? People in places where it's homogenous, you never think about race, you never think about ethnicity. The first time I think I ever saw somebody who was not Chinese, I think I was walking in a market in Taichung, which is like this big city where you know, I was living in the rural area. And I saw a person, a white person with blonde hair. And I thought, oh my gosh, that person is so exotic, so different. What is that all about? Wow. Um, but after that, I never thought about it again. It, it never crosses my mind to think about race or ethnicity. It just it, You don't have to when you're in the majority. Um, and then when I, uh, my family moved, moved to the United States in Southern, in Southern California in, in, in the in late 70s, it changed everything because I walked into a school and it was weird. You have students jumping in front of me. They just come right at me and called me names. Mm all kinds of racial epithets. And they were just, this is Southern California in the late 70s. And people were doing this. And I'm like, what is happening? I, I was totally confused. I knew nothing about America and its racial history. And it took me a long time to actually study and figure out, oh, that's what's going on. That, that America has a particular history dealing with race and ethnicity. And, um, and unless you're a person of color, you're, you know, you don't really think about this. It doesn't come up. Just like when I was in Taiwan, issues like this don't come up. Um, but if you're a person of color in America, it shows up all the time. Mm. So That's good. That's good. Yeah, thanks for, for that background. Um, so before we get into a lot of questions about race and ethnicity, uh, maybe it's helpful just to define some terms for the sake of this conversation. So race, um, well, well, Charles, I just heard you use both race and ethnicity in the same sentence. So for you, is that something that you're using interchangeably? Are they the same thing? Are they different things? Can you speak to that a little bit? I'm, I'm, I've become very careful about using those two words because they are, well, they're used in, a, in confusing ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's one of the biggest problems with this whole conversation. I, I mentioned earlier to Chris and, 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 and Tiffany that talking about race is like talking about sex. It's, it's very, very <laughs> awkward. It's like, ah. And then you, what do you start with? You start with terminology. You got to call the right <laughs> things the right things, that's right? right. right. Okay. So like sex, the, the, the conversation of race is marked by a variety of terminology of words for different things and people use the same word for a gazillion different things and so even just on the word race um, many people in our in, in our culture in our conversations day to day would would say race and ethnicity are the same thing 
When we say ethnicity, we're talking about a group of people with maybe similar backgrounds, similar land, similar culture, similar language. And when we say race, they mean exactly the same thing. That's you know, anybody who's from a different country, they're from a different race, different race, different culture. Well, that's one definition. Um, but if you think that's the only definition, you're going to be very confused in this conversation because the word race, where it originally comes from, I think a much more historical and much more scientific definition, it has a very much narrower def uh, 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 understanding. Uh, the word race um, basically teaches that the entire human species divides into maybe four or five or six basic biological types of humans. Mm. Okay? All of us fall into these basic types, and these types, biological types, have inherent traits associated with them. So if you're this type, it, it does this, this type does this. And when you start talking about these, these, these um, different types of human beings called race, um, you can start ranking them. You can say, okay, this group is so much better at leadership. And this group is so much better at, we'll say, following orders and serving. And you can kind of hierarchicalize them and put them in order of which ones are better leaders, which are better athletes, which you can do things like that. You know, which ones are worth more. Um, that's race or racism from the very, very kind of a narrow scientific historical understanding. And that idea has not been around that long. Now, now people, people always say, oh, you're being racist. Sometimes when they, when they say that, um, I think what they mean is you're being a tribalist. Mm. Okay? Uh, basically, look, from the beginning of Adam and Eve, from the beginning of time, we've always had this, my group is better than your group. You know, we're the, you know we, 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 we follow the Packers. Packers are awesome. <laughs> you Bear fans, you guys suck. You guys stink. Right? Wisconsinites, better than Minnesotans. You know, it's like, we, we, we have a group we're part of, and that's us. And that's like, that's, that's just awesome. And the other group out there, we look down on them. That's Basic tribalism has been around forever. And I want to say basic. I don't mean to, to like say that, that this like somehow doesn't matter because it matters hugely because that's been the source of so much damage in our world. It's, it's really sin at its core. Yeah. At its core, we looked highly upon ourselves and looked down to those people outside. There's been wars. There's been genocide. There's been just massive inhumanity done to people in the name of tribalism. But if you confuse that with racism, you're going to be confused mm. in this conversation. Mm. Because when we start talking about racism from the kind of the narrow historical definition, it was an idea that kind of really originated around the 15th, 16th century from European colonists. And they created this idea that there are biological types and that we can compress ethnicities into these types. So hundreds and hundreds of ethnicities and nations in Africa. Let's compress that into one race and call it black. Hundreds and hundreds of different ethnic groups in Europe. Let's compress that and call that white. Hundreds and hundreds of those ethnicities in Asia. Compress them, call them Asian. Okay. They created this approach and historians will argue and, and say that the arguments, the evidence suggests that they created it to justify slavery in the new world. Mm. Sure. And they started doing scientific research and tried to measure people's heads, the size of people's heads to kind of like justify, hey, we can enslave an entire group of humans because they're supposed to be subservient or subhuman in some way. Now, of course, currently, of course, racism as a scientific theory is, is repudiated. In fact, there is no such 
correlation between uh, basic physical types and some kind of basic traits. But racism and its residual effects still mm-hmm. exist. So this is kind of, this is kind of a, a big launch, even just kind of understanding the word race. And mm-hmm. it's very problematic. If we don't understand it, you're going to get confused. Mm-hmm. So I know it wasn't that long ago that basically I heard um, someone talk about what you just said, Charles, this idea that race was something we kind of created to put people into categories, maybe even justify things that we would do to other groups of people or to make ourselves feel superior. Um, But there may be people listening that like our minds are kind of being blown right now. Because basically, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is like race, the category of race is something that we created. Um, I've heard people use the word like race is a social construct. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Am I understanding that correctly? Well, Well, think about it this way. Uh, before 15th century, people didn't talk about race. They talked about ethnicities, right? So if you, you know, an English person meets a French person, they would say, oh, that's, they wouldn't say, hey, we're both white. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be in anybody's mind. They'd be like, oh, you're French. I'm English. I'm better than you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tribalism still exists, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and when you meet an African, be like, oh, that person is a North African, he's Moroccan, he's Egyptian. You, you, you categorize people. The people still categorize people and there's still lots of stereotypes and still a lot of bias. You know, French are this, British are this, you know, Germans are this, Italians are these. There's all these stereotypes, but what they didn't do okay, was associate these groups into a biological type. There wasn't the idea that, oh, if you're, you know, you're, you're German, you can never become a Brit by living in Europe. That you, you can never change out of your Germanness. Mm. That, that, that biological connection to, to, to traits, that, that connection didn't exist until the concept of race was invented mm. as a social construct created by, by, by a social need, which is how do we justify hanging on to people, not just the people who we either sold themselves into slavery or were captured, but what about their kids? Their kids who are born in America, in this new country, how do we justify keeping them as slaves? Because we didn't have that before. Perpetual slavery, that's a new thing, mm-hmm. created in large part in North America. Mm. So um, social construct indeed. Another term, potentially, um, as we're talking about this. Talk to me about systemic racism. Where does it right. show up? How do we identify it? Um, right. Yeah. Good, good, good question. And, oh gosh, I wish, I wish they had a better term than systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Because what would this, you call because it? Because yeah. this term is one of the, those terms that causes so many confusion and get so, people, so many people upset. Okay. Because when, okay, so let me, let me just back up. Back up. Um, there's a great book um, called Racism Without Racists. If you just look that up and you Google uh, uh, De Silva, I think, is, is, the t- is the author. Just look up the title because you have to understand what they're saying here. So, so if we start with, hey, America was a, was a racist country in the sense that we had uh, race, people who had racist beliefs. The racist in the narrow sense, the, the scientific historical sense of cert- certain beliefs. And by the way, we're not done with that. I mean, we just filled out the U.S. Census and it divided all of humans, all of Americans into how many? Five, six different races. Yep, that hasn't changed. We still believe in races. Now, what, what, 
what happened in America is you have these people who, 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 who bought into these things and we, and we call them racists. And rightfully so. And it's a horrible, horrible word. Nobody wants to be called that. Right. So we, have a, we, we live in a country now where you're calling somebody racist really hurts and really damages us. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be called that. So the problem with the term systemic racism is that it uses that word racism, but it means it in an entirely different way. Because mm-hmm. it used to be racism refers to the belief in race theory. Mm-hmm. Now, Racism doesn't mean that. It simply means you're part of a system, you're part of an institution in which there are practices that goes on that continues to create racialized results. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, when people talk about systemic racism, the things they'll talk about is residues from a racist history things that are still ongoing and is still affecting us. In uh, 1937, uh, the Federal Housing Administration started the practice of l- giving people really cheap loans to help people buy houses. This is during the, you know, the, 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 depression, the Great Depression, and people needed help. And so they started giving out loans, and so you have all these people who live in the cities, and they were like, hey, you can go out and buy houses in the suburbs. Great. Except this is 1937. People didn't like the idea of having, having integrated houses. They wanted neighborhoods to be, to be segregated. So they don't want a working black person to buy a house in a predominantly white neighborhood. So they said, no, 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 we can't do that. So if, if a working black person applies for a loan in a predominantly white area, they will be turned down, both by the Federal Housing Administration as well as by the local banks. Okay? Instead, working black people will, will be fed into black dominant neighborhoods. That's racist. Mm-hmm. It's racial segregation. Mm-hmm. Right? We all like, oh, that's wrong. And by the way, this is completely documented. You can actually find stuff like this online very easily. This is completely documented. But now think about the result of this. If you look at racial division, racial neighborhoods in the city of Milwaukee, not too far from here, you will find that the, segreg- the residential segregation pattern, here's a p- clump of African-Americans, here's a clump of whites, here's a clump of this. That segregation, those neighborhoods, they still remain where they are since the 50s. Yeah. They're predominantly the same. Nothing's changed. Now you think, okay, well, well, is that racist? Well, yes. Because even though banks have changed their practices and, and federal housing administration have changed their practices, those decades of that racist legacy have completely altered the course of people's lives. Mm-hmm. White neighborhoods, the property value went up. They, they, had, they, they were gaining money from houses and then buying more houses, getting good education, and, and p- be able to pass on with those wealth mm-hmm. to, their, to, to the multiple generation till now versus people who are living in those black neighborhoods in which they were not, they, because you can't get loans to buy them, the housing prices were stagnant. And, mm-hmm. uh, and here's the big thing. In America, education is done That's through... Right. Yep, the property, property taxes. taxes. That's it's right. property right. taxes. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does this, by the way. Other countries, they'll do a national education system, which means all the schools get the same curriculum, same resources. In America, our schooling system is neighborhood-based. Mm-hmm. Now you think, that's not racist. No. But a rich, predominantly white neighborhood will have better pay for their teachers, better facility, and, and, and better opportunities for extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm versus a urban, predominantly black school district. 
I mean, I, I, I look, I just, I say that not to blame him. I, I live in the Middleton School District. They just built Cromery Middle School a few years back. Oh my gosh, an amazing building. Absolutely fantastic. Why? Because we all pay property taxes into it mm -hmm. versus some other schools. Yeah. Now, once again, we get back to this. Having education paid out of property taxes isn't racist in the sense that it's intentionally, you know, we're dis discriminating against black people or other, other people of color, but it is systemically racist mm -hmm. because it keeps producing these racialized results because we had a, a history of racism in our country. And we have, we have, unless we go in and fix that somehow, mm -hmm. it will not change. The systems cannot be changed by simply changing everybody's minds. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point of systemic racism. If systemic racism doesn't accuse anybody of being racist. It simply says we have residues of a system and we can't change it unless we go in and deal with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you've used that word residue a couple times. Um, I mean, even right now, we'll, we'll try to put this in the, the show notes. You can go online... Um, that practice that Charles was referring to is called redlining, where they would block out certain just neighborhoods and, and places where um, basically black people couldn't get home loans and couldn't couldn't live in those neighborhoods. You can go online. There's a website that actually like scanned in the maps from the government. Like you can show, uh, and it'll show exactly like where those neighborhoods were, um, places where people would be approved where they weren't. And Madison is one of those cities that you can look at, so you can see kind of the lingering effects of. This was something that um, it was a practice of what 70 or more years ago, but you can kind of see um, even today how that's maybe had lasting impacts in some of these neighborhoods in Madison. And for people who might want to learn more actually about there, there's this great book called The Color of Law. So yeah. maybe we can put that in our show notes as well. It's a fascinating book um, yes. about that as well. Yes. Yeah. So Charles, maybe to kind of, again, to summarize and making sure that, um, that I'm understanding, like when we talk about systemic racism, um, it's not that individual people are necessarily racist, they might not have ill intentions toward people of color or, or minorities, um, but there are things baked into the system from this long history of racism um, and this complicated racial history that we have in the United States that continue to produce, uh, you use the word racialized, but even like racial inequalities and yes. gaps in achievement and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not necessarily that I myself um, have ill will toward um, my black neighbor or a black person in our church or something like that, but there are still things within our community, within our city, because of that legacy of racism that continue just to, to create these disparities. And yeah. again, am I kind of understanding yeah, that? Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example that really strike close to home here, because it's like, um, you know, the key thing about systemic racism is that there are, people are not racist. And this is where it's so hard to have that conversation because people get, feel so offended by this, which yeah. is why I wish they use a different word. They, they can come up with a different word somehow so it doesn't create so many confusion in, in the conversation. But because of American history, because of what, uh, 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 how America has come to be, today, if we're in a predominantly white institution and if we simply have a practice of hiring people that we know, it produces most likely white candidates mm -hmm. because we're hiring who we know. 
And, and you think, and people say, well, that actually, people, actually, a lot of people said that practice actually is systemically racist. And you think, wait a minute, how could that be racist? It's, it's not in your head. Remember, it's not about your belief system. It's not about whether you harbor, harbor resentment or bias. It's that because of the past, systemic racism is hugely about the past. We can't, we can't, one of the things people want to do is pretend that, that somehow after the civil rights movement, life started over. Somebody pushed mm-hmm. a massive reset button. Everything is now fine. Mm-hmm. Right. It isn't. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and, it sh- and that, that shouldn't be surprising to anybody. That a, 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 a racist culture, a racist uh, a legal system that was built up over hundreds of years... That cannot be erased or, or eradicated or cleaned, cleaned out in, in a period of, a, of a 10 years with a couple of laws changes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once we start thinking that, we're going, oh, there are residues. It's not about people anymore. It's not about hearts and mind anymore. Well, at least most people. It's not about the hearts and mind anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't really run into true racists, but it's about the system. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Maybe we'll, we'll ask one more question related to systemic racism before moving on, but someone submitted this via email. Um, they said, how would you respond to someone who says systemic racism doesn't exist? Or maybe if someone's just listening, and this, again, is all pretty new to us, are there resources or things that you would recommend looking into um, just to begin to learn more about this? Tiffany mentioned one yeah, yeah. earlier. Um, I know that Phil Vischer has put out several videos at this point, um, really short 15-minute videos about mm-hmm. some of the the history of, of this in the United States. Yeah. He's a Christian that created VeggieTales. Anything else that you uh, that comes to mind for you? Uh, that's a good question. Systemic racism uh, shows up in multiple ways. I mean, when, when um, people start talking about and teaching about this, they will, they will give you multiple categories. Uh, one, the category we just talked about, residential seg- uh, uh, segregation, is really at the root of a lot of the systemic racism. Uh, they will also talk about implicit bias. So, so looking at a book by, uh, like biased, implicit bias comes up. Uh, a legal, um, we're talking about uh, criminal justice system. Um, um, movies like 13th, um, uh, works like that and other books. Um, we have actually quite a few of those on our website. Uh, can help you, uh, direct you there. Uh, I think when people say systemic racism doesn't, make, doesn't exist, if they truly understood the definition of systemic racism, I think the definition is the problem. If they truly understood it, the, the way it's defined by the people who use that term, I think its existence is undeniable. The fact that we used to be a racist country, therefore there are residues of it all over the place in laws, in, in, in actual facts on the ground, that just should not surprise anybody. In fact, it's like, how could it not be? would be the questions that we would ask. Mm-hmm. It seems like the most obvious things in, in the world. I think many people who reject the existence of systemic racism is because either one, they don't understand it, the phrase as how it's used, how it's defined, or they are kind of intentionally misunderstanding the phrase and how it's, how it's being used. Yeah. yeah. So. I feel like sometimes when, if we admit that we see um, parts of our everyday life where we're participating um, in these systems, yeah. uh, some sometimes we're afraid that if things change, what will that do to our way of life? What will that do to the way that I've always seen the world? And that can be a scary thing yeah. to um, yeah to think about. And I, I would look. I, I, I hate to be always be a pastor about this, but I bring this back to sin. 
and, and I don't just say this to people who doubt the existence of racism. I think everybody is sinful. That's, that's what the Bible says. We're all broken people, and which means we're all going to, and, and I, I know I'm calling into people's objectivity into question here, and I, I call my own objectivity into question all the time. Every one of us is motivated toward believing things that benefit myself or my group. Okay? So if you are a, I'm just gonna come up really strong and I apologize. If you're a white person and you're doubting systemic racism, question that. Because you're, you're, because you're believing something that benefits you. Whenever you're drawn to that, ask yourself, am I just favoring me and my group? Am I just acting out of my brokenness as a sinful person? And I'm not saying that to just to, to, the, to white people. I'm saying persons of color, okay? Similar dynamics going on. Similar kinds of things are going on, right? If I, if I didn't get a job and I'm like, well, maybe it's because I'm Chinese. Maybe they're being racist. Is that explanation feeding my interest? Or maybe I should examine myself and go, you know what? Maybe I'm not that good of a fit for that job. Mm. I need to ask myself that question. I think all of us do as Christians. Mm. Our direction needs to be directed first and foremost inward. I think we have a tendency to go, well, look at them. They're messing up. Look at them. They're thinking that way. No, 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 no. As Christians, as Christ followers, the first place we look is always our own hearts. Am I examining my own hearts? What are my motives in all of this? Am I trying to truly understand what's going on? Yeah, that's good. Uh, kind of like Tiffany said at the beginning, maybe just an encouragement um, to have a spirit of curiosity about these kinds of things, but to actually, you know, press into it. Don't just run from the conversation, but um, read widely, look into some of this kind of stuff. Uh, and then I know for myself, some of the most powerful moments of um having my mind changed and learning about these things has just been sitting across a table from someone sharing a meal with a person of color who's telling me about their own experiences and that of their family and, and that kind of thing. So also just listen to people around you who are, who are different from you and, and, and take all that in and do it out of, again, a spirit of curiosity, but gentleness and compassion, really seeking to, to understand and hear what people are saying. Yeah. And, and not just on the issue of racism. I think, I think here's, here's a basic problem. Okay. And that, that we tend to forget. Um, the kingdom of God is going to be multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic, multilingual. And one day we're going to live there. So you have to learn how to cross cultures, folks, <laughs> because the majority of people in heaven, in the kingdom of God, are not going to be Americans. We're going to have to get used to all kinds of stuff and get to know all kinds of people. So really, learning how to live in heaven begins by cross cultures. How do you do that? Gosh, you know... Um, Right now we're in pandemic, so it's hard, but visit another country and stay there for a bit. Mm. Learn something about that country. Learn another language. You don't have to go anywhere for that. You can do that online. Mm. Watch movies from other countries. I, th I find it fascinating when I watch movies from other countries or other cultures because people in there behave in ways that I do not understand. Mm. I'm lost. And I'm going, okay, what, what assumptions, what value do they have? Oh, that's really different from mine. And I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm paying attention to them and I'm realizing my own values in the process. One of the biggest challenges to being a white person in America is that it's hard to know your own culture. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you can't see where there's no contrast. 
every person of color knows their own culture <laughs> because it's contrasted with what's considered normal, mm. right? But for, for, for a white American, your culture is pretty normal and you can't see it. You, in fact, the word normal is a problem, okay? It's, it's not normal, it's just yeah. predominant in this country. I, I met a guy uh, who I, I, I talked to him about his culture. He said, no, 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 Mike, he's, he's a white, white colleague of mine. He just says, oh no, my culture is just pure vanilla. And I said, if you go to Beijing, China, you will be the most exotic person there. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing yeah. vanilla about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just mentioned um, a moment ago, this idea of how uh, we're going to spend eternity in this multiracial kingdom of God. Um, I want to back up a little bit because just before that, we were talking about sin and this problem of uh, racism. So there's a gap there, right? Like how do we get from racism and some of the issues um, that we're seeing now to this multiracial kingdom of God? Like what is the, what is the Bible's solution to this problem that we're facing to racism to all this stuff that we're we're talking about right now it's really popular to be talking about social justice in our culture not just not just in the christian world but you know our, our politicians are talking about that kind of stuff yeah. um so how how is the kingdom vision of god and kind of the bible's solution to these things are there ways that it's similar to what we talk about with social justice ways that it's different um, basically, how do we fix this thing, Charles? <laughs> what does the Bible has, have to okay, say to us? You just asked a, like three, four big questions in my head. I know, I'm going like to I'm, I'm gonna try, no so try, try to sort them out. Uh, the, the, I think the first question that I, I hear a lot is, and, and I, mean, I don't know, some, some listeners are thinking is, you're talking about race because the society is talking about race. And um, why don't you just preach the gospel? And, um, and I, my answer is, well, what do you mean by preach the gospel? I think that's the starting point. What do you mean by preach the gospel? Because here's the thing, and, 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 and so now this tags into a huge long discussion that we're not gonna get into, but if you've been here at Blockhawk and, and for any length of time, you would have heard how we talk about the gospel. In, in our, we're part of Evangelical Church of, of, of America, EFCA, we, we, are, um, we are part of this evangelical tradition and this tradition, sometimes some churches in it will, will talk about the gospel in a very narrowly focused, individualized way. As in, you have sinned and, and the, the punishment for sin is eternal separation from God, but, but God sent his son out of his love and abundance goodness, died on the cross for your sins so that you can be reconciled with God. So now you can live eternal life with him. That's what many people call the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they say that, like preach the gospel. When you didn't hear that, you didn't preach the gospel. And I think if you've been a Blackhawk long enough, you would have noticed that that's not our understanding of gospel. We've been preaching this for quite a while now. Okay. What we call, what we just heard, what you just, what we just described, I call that the narrow gospel. And it's a, an, an element of a much bigger picture. And, and I would say, what is that bigger picture? Very simply, Jesus in, in the gospel of Mark says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? The kingdom of God is here. The reign of God on earth is here, initiated by the King, Jesus Christ, King Jesus, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He's gonna rule, he's gonna change the world. And how does a narrow gospel fit in? Well, it simply answers the question, how are you accepted into this new kingdom of God? How do you gain membership? Is it by birth? Well, no, it's by faith 
in the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we enter in not through anything we do, not by parentage, but because we have faith in Jesus. The narrow gospel fits into the larger gospel. But once you start thinking about the larger gospel, once you start thinking about God's reign on earth, well, you have to talk about race because race is a huge part of the brokenness of this world. The world is broken individually as we talk about that. But oh my gosh, have you noticed about human history, about the wars we committed against each other, the, 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 the discrimination, the, the horrific inhumane things we do to one another. The Bible is not unaware of that. The Bible says the church is God's solution to ethnic strife. The church is God's solution to tribalism, to I'm better than you. Rather, God says, okay, for the church to solve that problem, the church needs to be a gathering of different types of people. People who speak different languages, different culture, different ethnicity, and they come together. And instead of being tribal, instead of going, I'm better than you, they all come together and love each other precisely because they're different. And in doing that, they image God who loves those who are different. God loves us while we're still sinners. It is in the inherent character of God to love those who are different. And so he gathers the church, a multicultural church for that purpose. So that's the gospel. Mm. So if you want to say, hey, why are you talking about race? Preach the gospel. My answer to you is I am preaching the gospel. I am preaching the gospel. That's the answer to your first question. <laughs> what was the second one? Sorry. Yeah, so as we talk about, um, or as we hear in culture, just in general, maybe even as we listen to politicians leading up to this election and all that kind of stuff. So we hear the word or the term social justice ah, yes. fairly often, um, even with the protests and the different rallies and things that are happening. So... Um, yeah, kind of in your opinion, what do you do you think there are are there things that are similar with the ways that we as Christ followers would talk about justice in the kingdom of God and how culture talks about social justice or other things that are 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 different that we should really tune into and be aware of? How do you yeah, approach it's a good, that? It's a good question. I mean, going back a little bit on history and this is where the, the phrase social justice has become kind of a bad word in in many evangelical circles and it's it's rather unfortunate. Um in, in America, we had a, 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 a major split among evangelicalism uh, between the fundamentalists and the kind of the more, more mainline churches in the early part of the 20th century. And, um, and so what ends up happening is the more mainline tend to be more liberal theologically. They, they, I don't want to put a huge label on them, but they tend to move toward, hey, let's take care of people. Is taking care of people became the main focus. Um, they unfortunately do not hold on to the orthodox beliefs of the church. Okay, in, in, in the process, many of them don't. The fundamentalist says, oh, no, 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 you guys are doing social gospel. You guys are taking care of people. We're really about the true gospel, which is saving souls. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, we, create, we created a bifurcation in, in American history. And this is kind of weird in American history. We created a s- s- taking care of people's physical needs versus taking care of their souls. And somehow those two things got separated in American churches. And so you have social gospel churches and then the soul spiritual gospel churches. By the way, in, in, in church history, that's, 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 that's not supposed to happen. 
That separation was not supposed to happen. We took care of people, both body and spirit, because they're one person, they're whole person. And, and our desire is for human beings, the images of God to flourish on earth, which means being well-fed, being well-educated, having the ability to live out the power and ability that God granted them to live lives full of love in order to reflect the image of God. And by the way, to reflect that life forever in relationship with God for eternity, hence salvation. Mm. That's the goal. It's both ends. So there's never supposed to be this bifurcation of, of saving souls versus saving people's lives. But that's what happened. And so now social justice has become a bad word in basically in, in church history. And now you're talking about more the contemporary movements towards social justice. Now, this is no longer talking about kind of Christian approaches. This is just more secular approaches. And there I, I would come back to one of the biggest differences between what the Bible has in mind and what's going on in our secular world today. We share certain similarities and we can maybe touch on that later. But one of the biggest difference, what God intends is a community relationships. What God intends is a group of coming together of different groups who love each other for their differences, who are going to forgive each other, who are going to submit to one another, who are going to hear each other's stories and want what's best for the other group, to lift up the other groups. That's God's vision. I'm not seeing that in our secular society right now. Sure. One of the things that people talk about when, they're, when they discuss this, why, why they're so frustrated with this conversation is, and this is from many of my white, white brothers and sisters who say, I, don't, I feel silenced. I feel like I can't talk. I feel shamed. And I'm like, that's, okay. that's the secular version of this. Mm -hmm. The gospel version doesn't silence anyone. You're not supposed to be silenced. You're supposed to be heard. We don't want anybody to feel like they can't talk. As Blackhawk moves toward becoming a multicultural church, one of the things we, we absolutely do not want to do is for people to feel shame or feel silenced. Mm. Now, we're going to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone, to learn about yourself and learn about others. But we do not want you to be silenced. We do not want you to be shamed. In fact, if we win an argument but lose the relationship, we lost. Mm -hmm. If the end goal is the beloved community, damaged community destroys that, that vision. But I, I don't sense that right now in the secular world, in our secular discussion. It feels like it is, a, it is about power at this point. Mm -hmm. And there's not that sense of, we want a community at the end of this. I don't know what the end goal is, but mm -hmm. beloved community isn't it. Maybe along those lines, kind of in keeping with that that theme, and you just talked about um, talked about power that maybe seems to be the goal um, with some of the social justice movement. One of the things that um, is becoming more prominent in some Christian circles, and and that we've been getting some questions about, is this idea of critical theory or critical race theory. Um, how does that relate to this conversation? Can you just, can you define critical race theory in 60 seconds? But can you just tell us a little bit about what it is? Um, similarly, is it something we should be worried about? Is it something we should brace? Is there somewhere in the middle that we should land? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, no, I cannot define critical race theorists. Critical race theorists themselves can't define it. They disagree. So there's diversity within critical race theorists. Uh, you can track a little bit of its beginning. I think it started in the 60s and 70s, uh, really in the law schools, as they're noticing that, hey, we got the civil rights movement passed, but the laws 
the laws haven't been changed. The laws were created during a time of, of, of racism and, and segregation. And if you don't change them, the, the effects continue on. Um, and so th I think the critical race theories are the first ones to really def to, to kind of go after racism and redefining racism, not as beliefs, but as systemic. Mm. It's pervasive. It's happening through our culture, through our, in our ideas, in the, even the very words we use. It's kind of like all around us. Now, you can critique that. I think people can, Christians can critically engage with that. But the idea that, like I said before, that there are residues of a long history of racism in our culture, in our media, in our conceptions of, of, of people and of the world and in our legal systems and our institutions and, 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 and economic uh, structures, not just a no duh. Of course it would be. Um, but they started that way. And um, now this, when you say critical race theory, it sounds very academic and intellectual. It's, it's, it's not. It really <laughs> is a movement. It's an activist movement whose goal it is to then use their theory to overturn these systems, to take out these, these, these residues that really continue to perpetuate racism. And so, yeah, so their challenge, I mean, this shows up everywhere. I mean, in, in, in universities more than anywhere else, but it's, it's showing up in governments, the system of education, uh, in, 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 in media and, 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 and popular culture. Um, it's, and at, at its heart, it's about silencing those who have previously can speak and giving voice to those people who previously couldn't. And this is where the idea of intersectionality comes from. The idea that certain type groups of people have more of a right to speak at these moments than others. So it's about overturning existing structure, existing uh, 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 power systems. Sure. Um, that's critical race theory. And one of the things I know Christians tend to, a lot of Christians freak out about it. And I'm like, look, it's a secular theory. Why would you expect it to match Christianity perfectly? You wouldn't. Yeah. Um, what you would do, want to do is like anything else, like capitalism, like democracy, like free market, like any theory out there, systems out there, analyze it. What's good? What's not good? What's right? What's not right? Um, I already talked about one of the things, which is it has no relationship at the end of it. Right? I think it has no relationship. I think it silences people. I think it... This is my own personal opinion. I, frankly, I think he uses language intentionally, in a way, intentionally causing problems. A lot of the conversation and the confusion we're having today are because critical race theorists believe in using powerfully loaded language to get what they want. And um, it's effective, but it causes confusion. Mm -hmm. So we can critique that. But I would also agree with a lot of what it says. Name specifically... Uh, the problem of colorblindness and the problem with systemic institutional racism. It's that legacy needs to be dealt with. It's not going to go away if we all simply sing Kumbaya, we all love each other. It doesn't work that way. Sin is more deeply rooted than individual repentance. Charles, I feel like I've really appreciated kind of going through some of this terminology and to hearing it from your mouth is actually really helpful and it's succinct. You have saved me hours and hours and hours of podcast listening. So thank you for that. 
Um, but, you know, as I think about um, how to take kind of this wider conversation and begin to narrow it around the Blackhawk community. So I know one of the questions that um, I have gotten, had a lot of conversations about over these past few months, back over the summer, we invited our congregation um, to march in a march that was put on um, by some brothers and sisters in our community. And and so can we talk a little bit about that? Um, can you talk about what is BLM, what is Black Hawk, or the um, Black Lives Matter? And also, do we support Black Lives Matters? How, how, how can you, yeah. yeah, can you talk to you a little bit? A good question, yeah. yes. Uh, so the phrase Black Lives Matter started from a, a tweet. Somebody simply tweeted that and then it kind of went viral. Um, in fact, you, you can look that up pretty easily, the history of who did what and how that got, all got started. Um, so there is a phrase, Black Lives Matter. And, um, and somehow people misunderstand it. And, and so I think the way it's used uh, by people who uses it is that within this current historical context, within a history of America, within a country that where traditionally for, for, for hundreds of years, black lives have not mattered. And then after the civil rights movement, we said, hey, black lives do, I, I guess black lives matter now. And, and then we're still discovering ways in which black lives don't matter as much. As a society, we're going, whoa, it's not quite what we thought it was. We haven't fixed things. Every, we haven't fixed everything. That's where the phrase Black Lives Matter comes from. It's an assertion that, hey, we do indeed matter from the hearts and minds of black people in America. Yeah. That's what the phrase means. And when it's used that way, Black Hawk as a church, we 100% unequivocally mm -hmm. endorse it because black lives do matter. They are images of God. God created them, God blessed them, and God's, and their lives matter before God. So absolutely, black lives matter. There is also an organization that was established afterwards, and they became an activist group which, with certain beliefs. Um, now, I am not an expert on the Black Lives Matter organization, but I do know they have certain beliefs that we do not endorse, which is not surprising. Once again, there are so many secular organizations out there that, have, that believe in all kinds of things that mm -hmm. we would not 100% endorse, mm -hmm. right? So we don't go, we, we, we don't, it's like we're in the election season. Republican Party, do we agree with everything they say? No. Democratic Party, do we agree with everything they say? No, we don't. I mean, we just don't. These are secular parties and, they, and organizations. They, they have different belief systems. But some of what they argue for, we're like, yeah, we resonate with that. So let me just make it 100% clear. We endorse the phrase Black Lives Matter. We do not endorse the organization Black Lives Matter. Now, regarding the question about the, 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 the march, mm -hmm. I know that when we send out the uh, uh, um, social media pic, the picture of the, of the mm -hmm. invitation had this big sign that says Black Lives Matter. And so people thought, wait, wait, this is a Black Lives Matter march. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's a march organized, organized by the African-American Council of Churches in Madison. Mm -hmm. These are our friends. These are people that we know and we support and we love. And they invited us to join them for a march in solidarity. And of course we said yes. Are you kidding me? Of course we said yes. 100% and hundred mm -hmm. more times, yes, 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 yes. We will do it again and again and again. But marching there does not mean we agree with the organization. We agree with the phrase. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, as we think about, uh, we're, we're kind of heading toward the end here a little bit, but uh, here at Blackhawk Church in Madison, Wisconsin, um, Charles, how, how do we as a church hope to be involved in some of this work of uh, advancing God's kingdom in this way and seeing racial justice and racial reconciliation and those kinds of things? Can you speak to maybe um, a little bit of, of how we uh, are trying to approach this conversation and also maybe some of the things that are, are coming up in the next year or so? Yeah, great question, Chris. Um, so one of the things we... Um, we talk about here is that uh, as at Black Hawk, we are, we are, as a church that's f- a fairly large one in the, in the Madison area, uh, we do a lot of things in our community that's kind of unseen. And there's a reason for that. There are hundreds of organizations that are doing various kinds of things, dealing with structural racism, systemic racism, education inequality, social inequality, financial health, mental health, all those kinds of things. And what Blackhawk does is we partner with them. We partner with them. We send resources. We send volunteers. Um, so, you know, this is where you have, she has a director, our director of impact ministry, Susan Demel here, and she'll tell you all about it. In fact, you can go to our website online, go to impact and ministry and look for opportunities. There's a reason we do things this way is because we, first of all, these organizations are specialists. They focus on those issues. They know about those issues better than we do. I mean, look at the leaders of Blackhawk. I mean, just kind of go through our CVs and, and the things we learn. We're, we, we people who go to like seminaries, you know, we study the Bible. I mean, I'm an Old Testament PhD. <laughs> Racial reconciliation in terms of getting rid of systemic racism, that's not my expertise. I didn't study that most of my life. Why don't we go to people who have and partner with them and support their ministry? And so you will find that Black, a lot of the organizations that's doing stuff at Blackhawk, I mean, in Madison, Blackhawk's already working with them. So get involved with them. Okay, this is great. And, and we don't, and, and, and we're, we don't want to be that church that's going, whoa, it's all about us. Look what we did. Look what Blackhawk did here. No, no, no. Look what that organization did. And guess what? If you ever ask around, sorry, this really, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but if you ask around of these organizations, we have a tremendous reputation among these organizations because we don't highlight what we do. We let them take the credit and we, we, we elevate them. And that's a very Christian thing to do mm-hmm. is to... S- s- serve others and lift them up. So um, I, would, I would recommend, if you're interested in this, go online, talk to Impact Ministry, find ways to volunteer. Now regarding our church mm-hmm. becoming a multicultural community, now that's not something that anybody out there can, 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 can do, that's us. And so whether I'm an expert or not, I have to become one. Um, and f- frankly, I think most students, when they go through seminary, we all learn, oh yeah, the church is supposed to be multicultural. I think we all learn that. It's like, it's like a no duh in thing in the Bible. And then we come out and we usually, most of us end up in a church that's predominantly one culture or another. And we're like, oh, I guess this is the norm. Mm. Well, it's not supposed to be the norm. Yeah. We're supposed to move. And so we have been on this uh, journey for a few years now. Um, and I think people have a lot of questions as we talk more about this, like, hey, what exactly are you doing? You know, we've heard about Blackhawk Chinese ministry, Blackhawk African-American ministry. What does that all mean? How does it all fit together? And those are great questions. Um, so just to let you know, uh, coming up in, in March, uh, we're having a race and faith series um, in which we're going to explain 
where we're going as a church, as a multicultural church. There will be uh, tools and, and, gather, and book clubs and, and hopefully ways for, for you to talk about what we're trying to do and ask questions. We're, we're still setting all of these things up, but it's time to, to not just talk about the biblical vision, but exactly how will Blackhawk um, move toward the biblical vision. So that's, that's coming up. Charles, as you know, I'm thinking about the person. We um, we actually had quite a few people, maybe a hundred people, go through um, some race and faith discussion learning groups back in August, July and August, and um, there have been some people who have gotten very excited about the journey that they're on, the learning process that they're on. They are reading books. They are listening to podcasts. They are logging some serious hours, and they have feeling like God is opening their eyes to a lot of things and helping them to grow. Um, One question that we got from one of these people, um, she says, as I'm learning about racial issues in our society, I feel like I'm hearing contradictory things about how I should engage as a white person. So she's hearing, here's some examples that she gave, which I think are great. You know, she hears, speak up, silence is violence. You have to speak up. And then she also hears, don't drown out the voices of people of color, let them talk. She hears, um, don't ask, what can I do? It's not about doing. But then she also hears, well, talk is cheap. Do something to create change. Um, uh, One thing, you know, I think this is definitely, uh, she says, share what you're learning, right? Help educate other white people. And then she, on the other hand, she hears talking about what you're doing or learning is virtue signaling, which is bad. So keep your mouth quiet. (laughs) So, you know, as she, you know, I I think we hear these messages. So can you talk, you know, talk to us about what is our posture towards this? As we're learning, as we have filters on, what are we looking for? What, how do we best grow in these areas? That's a great, those are great questions. Um, you know, these, this question really reflects our society right now. It's, it's, we, have, we have so many people giving out so many advices. It's kind of nutty, right? They're, they're contradictory and, 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 and it just, okay, so here's the thing. Whatever you hear, most of the time, it's just what somebody says. And, and, they're gonna, and somebody else is gonna say something entirely different. So start with that. Um, so you're gonna hear what I'm gonna say and just, it's just my, my voice here. <laughs> so you're asking that, so there it goes. Um, here, here's, here's the thing, the focus, the, there's, in, in, from, the, from the Christian perspective, from the, from, the, from the kingdom of God perspective, talk, don't keep silent. You need to engage. And you will say the wrong things. I've done it. And when I realize that I said something wrong, I go ask, go, what did I say wrong? Why? Because the goal isn't to do it perfectly. The, the goal is to grow into the person who can navigate this properly and navigate it well. Remember what I said earlier about the kingdom of God being multicultural, multi-language, realizing that's an eternity. You have forever to learn this and we start the process now. So live with the understanding that you're gonna be growing and learning this forever and ever and ever. And you will be learning thousands and thousands of ethnicities and they're all different. And I don't know how many thousands of languages and they're all different. And you're gonna meet people who speak those languages and you're gonna to have to figure out how to love them and serve them and appreciate them. So that's the, we're at the starting point, we're at the starting line folks. So go and learn, mm-hmm. don't stop, don't, mm-hmm. don't not talk. Okay. Because the goal is a community. The goal isn't, oh, well, let the, you know, let the voice of POC talk. No, no, just, just go forward. Don't worry about mistakes. Don't worry about asking, did I say something wrong? 
you have to be, if you want to move in this area, you have to not be afraid of mistakes. There's no other way. Mm-hmm. I know, especially for a white person, there's that, oh my gosh, I, I did something wrong. I messed up. I stepped in it. You got to get over it. Mm-hmm. Got to get over it. The right, shame thing. The shame. I, I mm-hmm. withdraw because I'm, I'm afraid of saying something wrong. You got to get over it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just get used to it. Get used to riding bikes and falling down. Get used to learning how to skate and, 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 and falling down. Get used to playing tennis and missing the ball. Get used to it. Okay. There's no, there's no getting around it. So that, that to me, that's, that's my advice. That's my advice. Um, we, we, I want to, you know, add, we are going to have another round of these race and faith learning groups. And I've heard from people who've gone through it, that this is a great place, a great environment, and, or that they can talk, that they can ask questions, that they can practice talking about race and where they feel like there is an environment in which everybody's learning together. And there is, there's been hard conversations in those groups. It's not, it's not all like rainbows and sparkles. There has been some awkwardness, um, but it's also a place where people have felt like they have grown because they've messed up because they have shown some, some of the, the, the ugliness that they're believing. Um, but yet they were a part of a group of people who had grace for them and were able to help them to grow in that. So um, definitely be looking out for, for those. We're going to be launching another set in January. I love that question though. And we can kind of wrap up with this because there's just humility embedded in that in that question and as speaking as one of the white people in the room, I've needed to approach all of this as I've been on this journey with just such a huge degree of humility as I've entered into these conversations and this learning. Um, I even think of Philippians too, right? And and Jesus laying down his life. Um, Am I posting this thing because I wanna make myself look good or is it really for the benefit of others or um, do I now that I've read two books on the topic consider myself an expert, right? Like it's tempting to, to do that. Like, well, now I've got all this figured out and I know all the answers uh, or I'll speak for myself. It's tempting for me to feel that way. Um, but I constantly need to remind myself to enter into this with just humility and compassion and, and gentleness. Um, yes, speak up. Yes, learn. Do all of those things, but but to do it with humility. Well, thanks so much, Charles. This has uh, this has been amazing. I know in some ways it feels like we're just scratching the surface of some of these, but at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose a, a little bit. So thank you so much for speaking into these things. Um, again, a few of the things coming up, there'll be the race and faith sermon series in March. We'll, uh, learn more about Blackhawk's multicultural vision and speak more to some of those things at that point. Uh, Tiffany mentioned the race and faith learning groups coming up in January. Um, so I think I have permission to do, to, to do this, but if you want to get notified when registration opens for those, you can email Tiffany at, uh, well, we'll just, I won't try to spell out her name right now. We'll, we'll put it in the show <laughs> notes, um, but you can, you can email Tiffany uh, to, to get notified about that. And then finally, again, if you have follow-up questions or just feedback from, from today, we'd love to, to hear from you. So email us at podcast at blockhawkchurch.org. But thanks so much for joining us. We will look forward to seeing you on Wednesday for uh, more regularly scheduled programming. Have a great week and God bless. <laughs>